0: 19. If you have your little um, sermon note booklet, then pull that out. If you don't and you don't have one, do we have some of those back there, Brother Josh? Those those sermon note sermon notebooks. If you need one, raise your hand. We'll get, get you one of those. And uh, it's a great. Uh, I'm not trying to to lift this series up necessarily, but this is something that you'll want to reference a lot over the next few years, especially. Um, so, and, and uh, does anybody need a pen? We've got a whole box of pens. All right, Jackson, run back there and grab that box of pens for me if you can. And, uh, yep, in the back here. And we'll pass those out. We'll raise your hand when he comes back in here and, and he'll get you one. But Matthew chapter 19 really is a foundational passage on marriage. And uh, there's, there's other places. Of course, it was instituted in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, that's where it started, and uh, all the way back at the very beginning, that God... All right, raise your hand if you need a pen. There we go. And, uh, but this idea of, of marriage, uh, we've looked at the spiritual side of dating, if you will, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we looked at the importance of and the ministry of marriage. We looked at dating and that the ultimate goal is purity through dating, and that's what we talked about last week. Uh, but the ultimate goal is to stay together for life. Right to make marriage a wonderful and enjoyable thing and to be something together that you can never be apart. And really, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 19. Let's, let's just start in verse number 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? By the way, that's Jesus quoting the Old Testament. If, that's not giving, if that doesn't give credence to the Old Testament as the word of God, I don't know what does, but Jesus quoted the, New, the Old Testament often. But he quotes it again here. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together... Let not man put asunder. Then they said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. And he goes on to talk about a little bit more, but the main thing is, God designed marriage to be between a man and woman for life. And, that, and, and well, what about Moses? He said you could get a divorce. God said he did that out of the hardness of your heart. It was not supposed to be that way. You were supposed to be together for life. And that's what, that's what our goal is when it comes to uh, helping our children get to the marriage altar, but not just to get to the marriage altar, get to the marriage altar pure, and then have that as the foundation for the rest of their life. So, for the next couple of weeks, I want to give you some very, very practical advice on dating. We're going to look at some verses as we go through this, but I already mentioned last week that dating in high school is inadvisable because of the very nature of what dating is. And I gave you kind of a definition last week, but a date is really any specific period of time in which the two of you are purposely getting together in order to enjoy each other's company, to get to know each other better, to pay attention to each other with the intention that this may be the person that God wants you to marry. You ought not to send your children to prom and dancing dates and whatever else is popular in our culture for young people today. But I don't want them to feel out of touch, or I don't want them to feel different, or I don't want them to feel left out. I never went on a date in high school, never went to a dance, I never went to prom, never did any of those kind of things. And I promise you this, maybe I felt a little different, but I didn't feel left out. I don't look back and say, boy, I wish I had gone to a prom. I wish I had gone to a high school dance or something like that. Uh, I don't feel like i missed out on anything, Uh, and you'd rather have them feel left out and different than to have a daughter that's pregnant at 16, or a son that has the responsibility of caring for uh, a a child at 16 years old. It's setting them up to fail and putting them in a position where they have to make decisions that, quite frankly, they should not have to make at that age, Uh, and it's igniting a passion in them that they're not ready for at that age. The day is gonna come when those decisions will have to be made, especially as they get older. They're gonna to have to make those decisions. Um, and the time is going to come when they have to decide on their own whether, whether they're going to stay pure, whether they're gonna stay right. Uh, and they're gonna to have to make that decision for purity, but it becomes much easier when they're more mature and more able to handle it. When we send our kids off to do these things that everybody seems to be doing nowadays with these dances and everything else, you're putting them in a position to make a hard decision that they're not ready for at that age. So this is practical advice for those who are college age, but it's never too early to start preparing for that day. And this, this the uh, next couple weeks, I'm not going to drag it on too long, but the next couple weeks I think is going to accomplish three things, hopefully. Number one, it'll give you, young people, some standards for who you should be looking for to marry. Um, if, if, if he or she doesn't measure up to those standards, then they shouldn't even be considered as a potential life's mate. Uh, some of you are in high school, some of you are college age, you're getting to the point where you're going to have to start making those decisions. You're going to have to start choosing who you're going to date and who you're not going to date. That'll be a help, hopefully, to you. It'll also help uh, young people to work on things that, need to, that, that, that they need to become in order to be the person that is dateable, if you will. Uh, if, if I'm telling you, you should never date a person that does this or you should never date a person that does this, then obviously those are things that you need to be making sure that you are not doing in your own life. So it'll help you to find somebody that you can date, it'll help you to be somebody that you would be fine uh, or that I would be fine with my daughter dating or my son dating. And the third thing I think is going to help the parents as well to, to help their children look for a spouse and to help them to become the spouse that they should be for the person that God has for them. And I think in the process, it's going to help us as parents in our own marriage. So, so I think everybody is included in this, all right? I, I don't think anybody is excluded as far as this is not applicable to you. So tonight, what I want to do is start into advice to our children on dating. That's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And that's why I say I, I really would like you to write these things down. I'm going to give you nine things tonight uh, probably about the same number next week and maybe the same number the week after that. We'll see. But these are not hard and fast rules, uh, but they'll give you a place to start as you seek God's will for marriage. These are general guidelines that will help you to not only find a spouse, but to be the spouse that God wants you to be, all right? So number one, let's, let's uh, establish this. There is no such thing as falling in love. Love is a decision. Turn over to Psalm 18. I'm going to have you look at two passages here. Psalm 18 is one of them. There is no such thing as falling in love. Oh, and you hear that all the time. Oh, they fell in love. No, love is a decision. This is one of the most important things that I've ever learned when it comes to the idea of what love is. Psalm 18, verse 1. This is obviously the psalmist, David, uh, talking to God, and he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I will love thee. That's a decision that he's making, right? That's not, I mean, why doesn't he say, I have fallen in love with you, O Lord, my strength. Can't help it, I just love you. And and, and to a certain extent, maybe some of the verses you could pull that out of, but he says, I will love thee. That is, love has emotion, but love isn't emotion. It's a decision of the will. That's why the husband can be, in fact, turn over to Ephesians chapter five. That's why the husband can be and is commanded to love his wife. He can be commanded to love his wife. He, he has been commanded to love his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, if, if falling in love is a thing, then why do we have to be commanded to love our wives? Right? Because love is a decision. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, love is under the control of the will. It's not some untouchable thing that is subject only to circumstance. In the context of dating, this has tremendous implications. Um, Choose first, by careful screening and, and, and by the standards that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, choose first the right kind of guy or girl, then seek to develop a relationship with them. At the appropriate time, you decide to love them. A lot of people say, well, that's not romantic. Oh, romantic is just when you see them and it's love at first sight and you fall in love and everything else. To say that, I say most of marriage isn't, isn't romantic. It's, it's commitment. It's a decision of the will to love and to cherish till death do depart. When I meet with folks that, I'm, uh, that are interested in having me marry them, one of the things that I tell them oft- often in, in, and even that I'll usually mention at some point in the wedding ceremony is that it's not so much your love that sustains your marriage as much it is as it is your marriage that sustains your love. See, there are times when you don't feel like loving the other person. There are times when you don't feel loved, but that doesn't mean, well, we're not in love anymore, so let's just go get a divorce. That's what a lot of the idea is today. Uh, a lot of the mindset is, well, we're, just, we're going in separate directions and we just don't have the same idea that we did before, and honestly, I just don't love him the way that I did when we got married. Love is a decision. And you made a commitment at the marriage altar that you are going to be committed to that person for the rest of your life. You said, till death do us part. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you're being loved. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you're in love. But you made that commitment, and that commitment is what sustains your love. Because maybe you're going through a time when things are a little bit difficult, and you don't feel as connected as you did when you first got married. But you'll get through it, and if you're committed to each other, you will get through it, and that, that spark will come back, and you'll love each other the way that you did when you got married or, or, or you know, even before that. So um, marriage, uh, your marriage sustains your love through the low times because it'll come back and you will love each other again. So uh, having said that, there is such a thing as infatuation, and it's an emotional preoccupation that really mimics true love, and that you can't necessarily control that. So when it happens, you have to realize it for what it is, infatuation, and what it's not, love. Love is a decision of the will. That means that you have to be very careful in screening who you date so that you don't get infatuated with the wrong kind of person. Choose ahead of time, deliberately, what kind of man or what kind of lady you're going to rule in and rule out and then proceed with caution, but don't let your romantic relationships just happen. You make a decision of the will, who you're going to love and who you're not. Be infatuated with somebody, but don't let that infatuation overrule the emotion of love. Number two, the decision of love. This one is very practical, but I would say this. Don't date your first semester of college. It may be that you go off to Bible college. It may be that you stay here, go to a local college if you feel that God's definitely not calling you into the ministry. And by the way, I would would suggest that whether you feel called into the ministry or not, you spend at least one year in Bible college, Bible college or Bible Institute or something like that. If if at the end of that year, uh, you still don't feel that God's moving in your heart in the area of ministry, then you haven't lost anything. You've gotten some Bible training, some Bible skills, and it's it's certainly not going to hurt you, but it'll give God God a chance to call you if that's what he wants you to do. And one year of, of studying the Bible is not going to hurt you at all. But it may be that you stay and go through the church institute. We're working on uh, making that a possibility here so that, that we, can, we have an institute that's, that's an option for people to, to, to do for college. But either way, you're, an ex, you're experiencing an enormous variety of change in your life. You're going from being a young person, a kid if you will, to being an adult and having some independence and being out there on your own. Um, in a relatively short space of time. Adjust to those things before you complicate your life further. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Dating is a wonderful thing, but it can really complicate life. I didn't date my entire freshman year, and I'm not saying that it it has to be that way for everybody, but it sure helped me get my legs underneath me as far as college goes uh, before I was kind of thrust into making those other decisions. It sure helped me make the adjustment. The adjustments. So get used to the enormous changes in your life before you try to bring any more. Here's another one that's very practical, but something to think about anyway. Uh, don't date somebody that's either 25% older or 25% younger than you. And I know that, that sounds, I mean, that, but it's very, very practical. But you think about this. Marriage is wonderful, but it's difficult. And the, the more things you have in common, the more helpful it's going to be. When the, when the person that you're dating is substantially older or substantially younger than you, it really complicates things, that, that's something that's already complicated. Um, they're, they're probably in a different stage of life than you are. They're experiencing different things than you are, aiming at different things. It'd be a 26-year-old marrying an 18-year-old or, or a, a, a 34-year-old. And again, not that it's impossible to make that work, but... Somebody who's 26 has some life experience behind them. Somebody who's 18 doesn't. And a 26-year-old is going to find themselves being very frustrated with an 18-year-old that they've just married. So again, not that it would not work, and that's what I'm saying. These are not hard and fast rules, but it's something to think about and something really to, to, to weigh. It's not impossible, but it's not advisable. If you get married, I think it'll just make things more difficult. Here's another one. Number four is this. You don't need your parents' permission after graduating from high school, to date, but you should want your parents' blessing. You don't need your parents' permission, but you should want your parents' blessing. Let me, let me, let me step back and see if I can and give a little help to parents here about the nature of your relationship with your children as your children are getting older. Parents... You, you should be raising your children to be full-fledged, independent adults by the time they get to be 18 years old. That's when the government recognizes them as an adult, 18 years old, and so you should be training them to be independent by the time they turn 18. Parents have a desire and a need to be needed. Children have a desire to be independent. So the older your children get and the more independence they, they want, the more your need to be needed goes away. Or maybe the need for you goes away, I should say, but not necessarily your need to be needed. So that's a lot of times where the conflict happens between a parent and a, and a teenager. A teenager wants that independence, a parent still needs that need to be needed, and so they can't let go of that, and, but then the kid is pushing against that because they need that independence. And that's where the dance starts, I guess. How much do you give them that independence, and how much do they give you still that need to be needed? Right now, obviously, kids at 15, 16 years old think they're, uh, you know, I could go live on my own right now if I want to. Give them a day or give them a week on their own and see how much they actually can live on their own. Most of them can't do it. Uh, and, and they still need their parents. And, and that need is still there. But right now, you have authority. But very soon, all you're, all you're going to have is influence. And what you're doing right now is building up your influence as you exercise that authority. How you exercise that authority is going to determine the type of and how much influence you have by the time they are no longer under your authority. And I know that, that, that might take a, a couple minutes for you to think about <clears throat> and really let that sink in. But one of these days, I mean, really, when they turn 18, now, if they're still living in your house, you have the authority of what happens and what does not happen in your house. But the decisions that they make, for the most part, are theirs at that point and you should be training them for that to happen. So when they do have the, the ability to make their own decisions, that should not be a bad thing. It should be a good thing. You should have trained them for that day. But right now you have the authority over them. One day you're only going to have influence. And when all you have left is influence, what you're doing right now with your authority is going to determine how much or how little of that influence you have. So When my kids get into that college age, I'm not going to be able to tell them what to do anymore. Uh, Dennis Corliss said said it this way, you don't have to make the wrong decision to prove it's your decision. I'm telling you ahead of time, especially when it comes to my kids, that, that those things will be their decision. But a wise young man or a wise young lady will certainly desire to have their parents' perspective on their dating life and having their blessing on their choice of a life's mate. The opposite of a wise man is a fool, and it never ends well for a fool. Uh, A a child, uh, I say a child, a a young person, once they get to the point where they can make their own decisions, have the choice to make their own decisions, but they should want their parents' blessing. So uh, you don't need your parents' permission to date, but you should want your parents' blessing, which brings us then to number five. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 11. Number five is this, ask your parents' advice a lot. In that stage of independence, and usually it's in the 18, 19, 20, 21-year age range, 18 to 21, I suppose, is when kids generally make the dumbest decisions of their life because they have that freedom to make their own decisions, and they are trying to prove themselves. I don't need mom and dad anymore. I can make the decisions myself, and that's usually when they make the worst decisions. And that's why I say a wise young person is going to ask their parents advice a lot. And that's why I say to parents, it's important how you exercise your authority when they're younger because that's going to determine whether at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, they're going to want your influence. They're going to want your advice. But Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 14 says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Young people, your parents know far more than you do, and they know you better than anybody else knows you, and by the way, they love you more than anybody else loves you, and they have the, parents have a long and deep experience at life, we have we have long and deep experience at helping people navigate life and the results of the bad choices that they make in life, Uh, in other words, parents know it when they see it, they know a bad decision when they see a bad decision, because they've been there. And they've seen many people make bad decisions, and in some cases, they've made the bad decisions themselves, and they've realized firsthand why it's a bad decision. Your parents love you immeasurably. We're not the enemy. We're on your side. We want to see you succeed in life. So when a parent gives you advice, or you ask your parents advice, and they go against what you were thinking you wanted to do, see, here's the other thing about advice a lot of times. People don't want you to tell them what to do, they want you to approve what they've already decided in their mind they're going to do. They come and they say, this is what I'm doing, what do you think? And we tell them, no, that's not what you should do. Well, they, they ignore it because they didn't want to hear what you thought, they wanted to hear you say, okay, do what you're going to do. That's not advice, that's sign your name at the bottom of it so that I can pretend like every, everything's okay. And, and in a lot of cases, when a parent goes against what you thought you wanted to do, your best interest, your best interest is to follow their advice. They've been there. They know why it's a good, a, 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 a good thing or why it's a bad mistake. They, they've been at life a lot longer than you have. They've been teenagers. They've been in college. They've been through having kids. They've been through all of it. They've been there, and, and they know you the best. Nothing would, nothing would please a parent more than to see their child do well. So for 99% of parents, they're not going to give you advice that's going to derail your life on purpose. Why would they want to do that? They don't want you to fail. They want to see you do well. So when they give you advice, take it. Use it. It's, It's there for a reason. We have zero desire to manipulate or control you for our own purposes. What do I get by manipulating my children to date somebody that I want them to date or you know, to, to marry somebody that I want them to marry. What's, what's the point in that? I'm not going to live with them the rest of my life. You are. So I want you to be happy. I want you to enjoy life. And I'm going to give you advice that's going to help you with that. Parents, for the most part, especially if they're in church, love the Lord. They've walked with him for a long time. They know the word of God. So ask their advice a lot. It's, it's just wisdom on your part. Turn over to Amos chapter 3. This one we'll cover very quickly because we've already mentioned it several times, but we'll make it official. Number six, don't date an unsaved person. Don't date an unsaved person. Amos chapter 3, verse number 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? God is very clear about it. Most kids have seen numerous examples of unhappy marriages. And it's not always that it's because one is uh, Christian and one is not, but... A marriage where one is a Christian and one is not is going to be a very unhappy marriage most of the time. Marrying somebody who's not saved creates a wide gulf of separation between man and wife in an area where they really should be the closest together, and that is in their concept of God and good. So no matter how much you like them or want to be with them, a decision to marry an unsaved person will bring you a lifetime of pain, literally. So don't. Don't marry somebody that's not saved. Which means then, you shouldn't even be dating somebody that's not saved. Because what's the purpose of a date? It's to see if this person is somebody that's worth marrying. And if they are not worth marrying, then you shouldn't even date that person. That'll keep you from getting emotionally involved. That'll keep you from getting uh, um, a whole lot of other things that go along with that. Here's, an, here's another one. Turn over to Proverbs 16. And these next, really the next three... And these are the last three that we're going to talk about tonight, are are to help the young people themselves as much as it is to help them find somebody um, who doesn't have these issues. Number seven is this don't date somebody with a temper problem. Don't date somebody with a temper problem. And by the way, then, young people, if you want somebody to date you, you better get your temper under control. Proverbs 16 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Oh, but he's got such big muscles. Well, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Doesn't matter what he looks like. Doesn't matter how athletic he is. Doesn't matter if he's the captain of the football team or whatever else. If he's got a temper problem, stay away from him. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is another one. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. By the way, somebody who's angry and who has an anger issue and who has a temper problem usually has another issue that's a lot deeper seated than just the anger. Something is causing that anger. And a lot of times it's it's something that is a whole lot worse off than just somebody who flies off the handle every now and then. Let that be a lesson to those who are looking for a spouse and to those who are looking to be a spouse. Somebody that has a temper problem, no matter how well he treats you when you're dating, Will eventually be an abusive husband, an abusive father, and you need to stay away from that person. He may be nice to you because he's trying to win you over, but you watch how he acts when he's playing sports. You watch how he reacts when things don't go his way. You watch how he treats other people. If he has a temper problem, he's going to do the exact same thing to you when that little spark of of love and infatuation has worn off, and you'll be the target of that abuse. Your kids will be the target of that abuse. Watch, watch how he treats those other people. Rule out those guys or girls from the very beginning. Doesn't matter what he looks like. Doesn't matter how he talks to you. If he's got a temper problem, stay away from him. Number eight, Proverbs chapter 11. Turn over to Proverbs 11. This is another one that you can work on yourself, but also to pay attention to dating somebody that, number eight, don't date a sneak. Don't date a sneak Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 20, "They that are of a froward heart." That word "froward heart" has a lot of connotations to it, but that's one of them is somebody who is sneaky. somebody who tries to, to bend the rules. They that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are His delight. Maybe fun at the beginning to run around with somebody who seems to be able to get away with stuff. Maybe fun to try to bend the rules with somebody else. See what you can get away with, but that fun is 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 only for the short term. Who they are before they're married is who they're going to be after they're married. And uh, I trust my wife with my life and with everything about my life. I've never had a single doubt in my mind that she wasn't where she said she was going to be at the time that she said that she was going to be there. I, I trust her with with everything. Um, Proverbs chapter 31 verse 11 says the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her that's that's what it's talking about the virtuous woman right but I know of a, a lot of husbands and wives whose whose fears leak out their eyes and down their cheeks and onto their pillows at night because they don't know what their husband or their wife is up to and if somebody is a sneak and trying to bend the rules and break the rules before you get married then you can bet that that's exactly what they're going to do after you get married and you're the one that's going to pay the price I don't don't wish that kind of horror on anybody. Don't date a sneak, and don't be a sneak. That is not the type of person that that I would let my children date or would want my children dating, and, and that's not the type of person that you ought to be looking for either. The last one for tonight is this. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. What do we find in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. I hear whispers. Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. Number nine is this, don't date someone who doesn't honor their parents. Don't date someone who doesn't honor their parents. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 is one of the Ten Commandments. And if people, even the unsaved people know, well, you shouldn't break the Ten Commandments, right? Well, this is one of them. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Interesting that it doesn't even say obey thy father and thy mother. It says honor them. Now, I think honor, I think obedience is implicit in honoring, but the reason it doesn't say obey is because there's a limitation on that. right? When you're, when you're an adult, you're not necessarily obligated to obey your parents anymore. The Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord this is, for this is right. Once you're no longer a child, that, that obedience is not there. Now, if I go home and my dad says, take out the trash... Well, out of respect for him, I'm probably going to take out the trash, you know? More than likely now, he would ask me, hey, would you mind taking out the trash, right? I would do it out of, out of respect for him, but I don't do it because, well, he's my dad and I have to obey him, so I'm going to take out the trash. But I should honor my parents, and that is a lifelong pursuit. Uh, no one I know agrees with their parents about everything. As adults... You're no longer going to be under that biblical admonition to obey your parents, but you'll always, for your entire life, be subject to honor thy father and mother. So it doesn't matter what age you get to. Your your partner in life will tell you, frankly, at times where your parents have been wrong, right? That's where all the in-law jokes come from. Your parents, your parents, your parents. But it does not give you the right to dishonor your parents. If they're wise, they'll honor their parents anyway. And in as many ways as possible, as often as possible for their entire life. And I've always said that I I can take the good things that my parents did and strengthen them and then use them in my own marriage and in my own family. And the things that my parents did that I don't agree with, which uh, honestly were very few things, but there's some things that my parents did that I said, I'm not going to do that in my family. I'm not going to do that in my marriage. Um, and you just take those things and throw them out. Either way, I've learned far more good from my parents than any bad, and either way, I need to honor my parents, no matter what type of parents they are. But other than your husband or wife, there is no earthly relationship that that is, is more close or more permanent or more important than your parents. No one has sacrificed more for you. And, of course, you don't understand that until you have your own kids, how much your parents sacrificed for you. But nobody sacrificed for you more than your parents. Nobody loves you more. Nobody's more deserving of your honor. I've tried to make honoring my parents, of course, my mom has passed away now, but I've tried to make honoring my parents one of the highest priorities of my life. And my wife has always done the same thing. We're very glad that we've done that. And I've also, I also know a boatload of people who are my age who have not honored their parents. And they have regrets. They wish they could go back. And, uh, and, and change some things. And, and honestly, in a lot of cases, they have enormous character flaws as a result of their refusal to honor their parents. A lot of things base, are, are based on that. If they're willing to honor their parents, no matter how good or bad their parents are, then that, that's going to set the tone for a lot of things in their life. If, if, if they, well, they don't honor their parents because their parents weren't great parents, then there's going to be a lot of other things that are derailed in their life. On the other hand, if they honor their parents, no matter how good or bad their parents were, there's going to be a lot of other things in their life that they have in order. By the way, parents, turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Once your children get married, they're no longer yours. They're still your child. They're still your son or your daughter. You gave your daughter away at the altar, and her husband became her number one priority. You don't get to come in and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You listen to me. I'm your father. You don't have that right anymore. The Bible says very clearly in Matthew chapter 19 in verse number five, we already read this. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That is the highest priority. Your The husband-wife relationship, it trumps the... Parent-child relationship it trumps any other relationship. The husband and wife, God's way is the best way. If if, if the conversation of a potential date, <coughs> excuse me, is always negative toward their parents, if they refuse their parents' counsel, if they complain constantly about their parents, if they view themselves as so much better than their parents, or they they have it, you know, my parents have never done this the right way. Mark it down there to be avoided like the plague. Christ Christ modeled both. He honored. Uh, both for for his heavenly father and his earthly parents. He honored both, right? And obviously, you think about about what, what Christ had to deal with in earthly parents. Here he's got a father who is absolutely holy and absolutely perfect, and he was absolutely holy and absolutely perfect, and he subjected himself to parents who were not. And yet, over and over and over, we see that Jesus honored his parents. He respected his parents. And, and nowhere do we see that Jesus did anything that was even remotely uh, like dishonoring them. And they were imperfect, and he wasn't. And so it doesn't matter how imperfect you think your parents are. Your job and your responsibility is to honor them. Failure in this area is enormously damaging down the road. It's going to fill the hearts and minds and lives with with, with deep and haunting regret. You'll wish that you had honored your parents when you look back if you have not done that. The fruit is very, very bitter if somebody is not honoring their parents. It, it really, it points, it points to a soul, and this is why I say avoid somebody who doesn't honor their parents. It points to a, a person who is very lifted up in pride. And wherever you see the horse of pride, the cart of destruction is not too far behind it. And by the way, you treat your parents that way, you can expect that your children are going to treat you the same way when they get to that age because they see it. They see how you treat your parents. They see how you honor or dishonor your parents. And whether you've trained them the right way or not, now obviously it's not 100% in every case, but they will treat you the same way. They, They see it. They see how you handle, they see how you talk about your parents, how you talk about your wife's or your husband's parents. They see it. And regardless of whether they were perfect or not, you need to treat them with honor and respect. Uh, I, I look back now at, at some of the things that, that um, my grandparents did that I never knew anything about. And had I known that when I was growing up, it would have given me a completely different perspective on them. But my parents always treated them with respect for the most part. And every time we went to our grandparents' house, it was the greatest thing. We had to... Wonderful time, and we left crying because we were sad to leave. And as we got older, my parents filled us in on some of the things that had happened in their lives and whatever else, and, and it changes your perspective a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, I know, I know that that um, my wife, uh, her dad's dad, was an alcoholic and a drunkard and got saved quite a bit later in life, but her dad never spoke bad of him. He was not home. Didn't The, the family never had money. Uh, because he was, a, he was a drunkard, and yet he always honored his father, and, I mean, and always spoke well of him, and, and if he ever did speak about his drinking, he would always say he did things that he wished he didn't do, but he always gave him that honor and that, that respect, because it doesn't matter who your parents are or what your parents do or how they react or how they respond, your job is to honor your parents. Kids, you keep that in mind as you are starting to look for a spouse. You better find somebody who honors their parents, but you better honor your parents if you expect to be a spouse that's worthy of being somebody that God wants your you to marry. And 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 honestly, all of these things. Don't be a sneak. Don't don't dishonor your parents. Don't don't be somebody that has a temper problem. There's a lot of other things that we're gonna talk about, but but these will give you a place to start. And again, I say just. Write these things down as we go through them, because it'll be something that you can look back at, hopefully, that will help you, uh, help your marriage, and then help you to find somebody that, that would be honoring and pleasing to the Lord, somebody that you could consider uh, as, a, as a, a mate for life. I'm not trying to paint somebody that is unattainable. Uh, you you're, you might find somebody who has, you know, 99 out of the 100 things, and oh, oh, no, nope, he, uh, he's one year past that 25%, so forget that. All those other good things go out the window. No, I mean, all of these things are things that you need to take into consideration. And that's what I'm saying. None of these are hard and fast rules. Every one of them can be broken based on how God leads you and, and how, God, uh, how God guides you and, and who God puts you together with. Um, but God's not going to ask you to marry somebody who's got a temper problem necessarily or somebody who does not honor their parents, uh, and, and a lot of these other things that we're going to talk about. So I said it, very, very practical. Of course, we looked at a lot of different verses. Hopefully you wrote some of those down that you can go back and look at later. But just some advice, some things that you can do, uh, young people that you can be aiming at, and then parents that you can help your kids aim at as they uh, move closer to finding the one that God wants for them. We'll continue this next week. Let's pray.